I'll tell you my favorite comedy story. This is yes. by far. Building and we should have asked a question. Building up to it. <laughs> this is my favorite. Roanoke, Virginia. I'm in there and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to do a little crowd work. And I'm like, okay, man. Roanoke, Lost Colony. Wow. And they're like, they start, they just kind of like look at me. I go, you know, Lost Colony of Roanoke. Yeah. And they just look at me and I say something. And they're, like, they're just staring at me like, and it's the first, last, only time I've ever berated an audience. And I'm like, how can you people not know about the biggest mystery in American history? And then it's from the back of Wrong Roanoke. Oh, no. <laughs> and I just doubled over laughing. I just, I mean, it probably took me five minutes to stop laughing. <laughs> so, oh, man. I would have been actively defiant. Nope, that's this one. <laughs> you don't know positive, you guys are all stupid. Wrong. I read the book. <laughs> you people need to read more. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into the 24th episode of the ElToro.com podcast. I am your host, David Stadler, here with Chris McConnell and Jeremy Ficklin. Today, we have a guest, very special guest to the Louisville community, Jamie Utley. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Now, Jamie Utley is from Evansville, Indiana. We will not hold that against him. <laughs> um, he is a Hoosier in the interest of full disclosure here. He got his start in comedy with the sketch group The Springfield Players. Jamie has been a professional comic for more than a decade, performing for audiences all over the United States. Jamie draws upon life experiences for inspiration, ranging from a dysfunctional family to preparing for the zombie apocalypse and everything in between. So he has appeared on Fox's Laughs, The Monsters of Comedy with Ralphie May and Jim Brewer, The Bob and Tom Show, and Fridays with Jim Brewer on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, to name a few. And we are very happy and very appreciative that you've decided to share some time with us here on Monday. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and for teaching me that it's time to update my bio. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> well, we hodgepodged it together. I was kind of I proud of ourselves. should probably read, I should probably Google myself more often. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> what, would you, what would you prefer to have the public understand? Uh, I would prefer that they didn't know I was on the TV show Laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the Springfield Players thing is a bit <laughs> embarrassing, too. That When I wrote it, I w that was exciting stuff. <laughs> well, it is the history. So, uh, But you are, you are a very well-known comedian, and recently you've begun to work with um, a, a very well-known individual here in town, uh, as well as nationally and perhaps internationally, Tom Mabe. Right, right. And I, wouldn't, I don't know. I think saying I'm a well-known comedian is a, uh, a bit of a stretch. I might be known among really hardcore comedy fans, but when it comes to the general public, if you're not Jerry Seinfeld or uh, Bill Cosby, yeah. most people don't know who that you works. are. That works. Um, it, so once again, folks, as as we traditionally do here at El Toro, mm -hmm. uh, we tend to drink a little bit of bourbon as we are recording our podcasts. And today, uh, we have one that, you know, I didn't expect to like it. I'm going to be honest, guys. This is the first time I've ever opened a bottle of Calumet Farm bourbon. Uh, this is the Calumet Farm Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey. It is a single barrel, aged 10 years. Um, apparently, Calumet will only do 19 of these barrels every year. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. I guess it's kind of exclusive in that regard. Um, but I like it a lot. And, it, you know, for... You know, somebody who's relatively new to the scene in bourbon, I, I believe they're new to the scene. I didn't mm. see them come up until about you know, probably five, six years ago. I think they got a hell of a product. Um, you'll notice when you look at this bottle, especially if you look at it next to like another Calumet Farm bottle, mm. this is noticeably darker. And they've also got a 12-year. Um, I have not been able to put my hands on a 12-year, but, um, you know, Calumet Farm, if, if you're listening to this, uh, feel free to send me some free booze. Uh, I will share it with all of my friends here at the office. So thank you. Calumet Farm is not a sponsor of the eltoro.com podcast, but they could be. <laughs> so the color's pretty dark. I think it is. I smell 
I don't really know what I smell. Maybe a little <laughs> bit of leather there. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. It smells like whiskey that's been aged in oak barrels. So I really appreciate that. Um, when I taste it, I got a little bit of caramel in there, yeah. maybe a slight bit of butterscotch, but we know that this is just as suggestive as anything else. So tell me how much you guys taste of those two things as well. Yeah, I just gave it the old, uh, the old Kentucky chew. You know, the old, oh. the old sniff sip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely sweet. I yeah. like it. I like yeah. a good sweet note. The note-man. funny thing is that while you were smelling the bourbon, I leaned in and smelled the microphone <laughs> for some reason. You should never smell a microphone. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Very you're risky right. move. Always a risky move. I'd actually like to have a competition where, like, a couple of seasoned folks do some recordings on different microphones and mm. then have a totally random selection of people come through and answer what this person had been eating, drinking, or smoking mm. Uh, mm. a few minutes beforehand. I think that'd be sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we can work on that. So, Jamie, you're a comedian. Um, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing here recently with Tom. Oh, with Tom. <clears throat> with Tom Abe. Actually, I haven't been doing it recently. I'm about to start doing okay. it. Uh-huh. He's a good friend of mine, um, and we've known each other for years. He's uh, somebody that I go to for advice. Sometimes he's even suck, sought out advice from me, and I just really believe in his product. And so I'm really, really exciting uh, that I'm coming on board as, I believe my title is tour manager. Okay. I don't know, but uh, he recognized I have a a unhealthy obsession with numbers and asses and seats. And so he said, I'm going to try to capitalize on this. And he's inviting me to be on this team. Dude, that's that's probably an incredibly valuable skill for <laughs> someone on a comedian's, I guess, right. group, tour group? What do you call them? It has opened... Uh, being able to do street team marketing is what I do, uh, and it has opened a whole lot of doors for me and bought me... Everything from cars to comedy clubs. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So Tom's a, a he's categorized as a clean comedian, absolutely, like a Jim Gaffigan or something like that. Right. Do you think it's more or less challenging to prepare a set as a clean comedian? One hundred percent positive. Clean material is way more difficult. Mm, okay. It takes way more skill to pull off. Mm. Okay. Uh, that's just my opinion. You know, not everybody's going to have the same feel. Some people believe now. Personally, uh, I'm. I don't struggle going back and forth because the difference mm-hmm. between my dirty set and my clean set is about four words. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I sure love doing those four words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, they just they're, they're, they work better. You know, and people like will say, "Well, if you have to use f bombs to punch up a joke, it's not that funny to begin with." Right. Sometimes the F-bomb is what works best. Yeah. That's just my opinion, and I heard that from Alonzo Bowden told me that. If you know who he is, winner of last comic stand. Big fan. Yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, So um, just that's my my opinion. It's way more difficult to pull it off. Um, A lot of – I see a lot of newer comics think that if you're doing corporate work or cruise lines, which is what I'm trying to get to. By the end of the year, my goal is to make it to the cruise lines. Okay. Uh, Because for longevity – if I'm not going to become a big famous headliner, I have to go to corporate corporate work or cruise lines or get a day job. Like, you just can't keep it going right. any other way. So being around Tom Mabe, it puts me in a healthy environment, healthy writing environment. And so hopefully it's going to help me make that push to make that transition. So do you all collaborate on a lot of the material that's put out there? or uh, Well, like some people have writing teams and stuff like that. He has writing teams, but that's not that's for his YouTube videos and stuff like gotcha. that, not for his actually stand-up. Generally, there, the ways to get material, there's three ways to get material. You can write it yourself. Uh, you get somebody will say, hey, man, that one joke, it would be better if you did it this way, or they give you a tag or something. Usually it's a, your a comic friend that does that. Mm -hmm. And then the third way is you can actually buy material. Mm -hmm. There are people that do that. Mm -hmm. I only, I mean, I know hundreds and hundreds of comics. I probably only know one or two that actually do that. That buy the material. That buy the material. Now, it's a different story if you're like really big, you buy more material, maybe. Some do, some don't. Some, like Jim Gaffigan, he puts out a new hour like every six months to a year or something. I mean, some of those guys are just boom, 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 boom. But a lot of them 
once you do a, a Netflix special or a Comedy <sighs> Central special, you have to burn that material. That material's gone. Yeah. And pretty much. I mean, you can do a little bit of it in, in your act. And so when you're under pressure to turn over a new hour every year, then some people do find it necessary to buy jokes from people like me. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I could see, you know, doing a live set after you record something from Netflix. It's not like you can run it again. Right, right. So. No, I know. I think uh, Ron White was speaking about that fairly recently and he, how he's pretty much a big proponent of buying material. Mm, oh, yeah. I mean, that dude's been doing this since, what, the 70s or something like yeah. that? He's, oh, like, he's like, if the joke works for him, I'll take it, you know? His, his brother-in-law lives here. Oh shit! And uh, he, he's he's a comic. He's a good friend of mine. I want to smoke and drink with that guy. Yeah. Be <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, he's, he would totally. He would love to come here. And in fact, uh, him and Ron White uh, have a tequila company together. Called, what? Yeah, number one tequila. It's amazing. I love tequila. Oh my gosh, the Black Label. It's it's like a hundred dollars a bottle. It's so good. I could get down like that. Alex Ramundo, you owe me for this plug. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we're not sponsored by them, but uh, yeah. I mean. Oh, man, their marketing is incredible. Like, I get I get more excited than <laughs> they do. Like, when I see their bottle in a movie, like it's in a bunch of movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. and oh, really? They pay to do that. I didn't uh, realize that. Big time. Yeah. Oh, everything. And so. Like like I'll see I'll see it in a movie and I'll like I'll text Alex Alex your your liquor's in a movie like, he yeah. took a drink <laughs> like, like uh, they had it on the desk when Ron White was being uh, interviewed by okay we're making this about Ron White <laughs> <laughs> no, but, number one number that one number one J U A N the Black Label mm -hmm. oh number it's one. it's incredible we're buying it a makes, bottle no it deep. makes Patron seem like Cuervo. Nice. And I'm not a huge fan of Patron because I, I like think it. It's, I think Patron's like a fanboy bitch's tequila. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Well, I won't drink it now. <laughs> and I'm right and everybody else is wrong. So back on Clean Comedian, you know, right. this was this was a bit of a two-parter here. Do you think it's – so from a material standpoint, you think it's more difficult. Do you think it's easier or harder to come by the laughs with clean material? Yes. Yes. Easier? Yeah. I, I'd say harder. Oh, you think it's harder, harder to come by laughs yeah. with clean material? Yeah, especially because a lot of times when you're doing the clean material, there's a reason why you're doing the clean material. So you might be in an environment anyway that's tough or like a corporate setting. Like gotcha. you do corporate comedy and stuff like that. Now, one thing that I find interesting about clean comics and clean comedy is I always grow up because when you start start off, your first goal is to become an MC. Okay. MC's mm -hmm. Almost always have to be squeaky clean, which is great because then comics learn to write clean in the beginning. And but we were always told, we're always told, if you can work clean, you can work everywhere. If you can work clean, you get more work. If you work clean, this this. I actually disagree with that from a club owner's stance because I knew some great clean comics. I never booked them until I needed a clean comic. Really? Really? Yeah. So when you get around the holidays and stuff, you need clean comedy because mm. you got all the fundraisers and Christmas parties. Gotcha. But like you, if you need clean openers because the, the headliner's clean. And so there's ple plenty of people that would disagree with that. But for me personally, when I knew a clean comic, I saved them and they tended to get booked less because I wouldn't book them because I'm like, well, I'm going to save that guy for when I need a clean week. I see. Oh, so wow. I think, so and I don't think any other comics have realized that yet because I've never, because I I say that, and they're always like really surprised when I say that. They go, really? I mean, if you ask a booker, when are you using your clean comics? You're going to be, well, during the month of December. I'm going to save them for the month of December. They don't get the work because they're special. Huh. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. But, but maybe now, this is just my opinion. Most people would disagree with you. With, with me on that. Really? Because, yeah. I mean, I think about it myself, and, you know, maybe it's me just being older. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I... I, I appreciate the because I believe it takes more effort for a mm -hmm. clean comic to create the material, and I appreciate their delivery more mm -hmm. than somebody who's just coming out dropping a bunch of f bombs right. out there because you know that's that's the shock value uh, to the experience. You know, because I was watching um, was watching a Netflix special, the guy that uh, played Mr. Chow on The Hangover, Doctor, yeah, oh somebody my gosh, or another, he's so funny. He's hilarious, but I mean, he comes out and I mean, he's just dropping f bombs mm -hmm. left and right, just you know, trying to get that shock. And I thought that. You know, especially for a gentleman like himself who is, uh, you know, he's he's older. You know, I I just don't see him coming out there like, 
it seemed like he was trying to be like more youthful. Mm-hmm. You know, he was mm-hmm. acting like a twenty three year old, and it's like, mm-hmm. dude, act your age, and people are still going to find you to be funny. I mean, you're a funny guy, right? You know, it's going to come across without you dropping a bunch of f bombs. Just honestly, they felt misplaced in mm-hmm. a lot of different areas. But you know, that's that's my opinion, and I'm not like a teetotaler. Right. Or, you know, I'm not. Some crowds uptight. they want it. Some crowds yeah. they want the want the dirty. Uh, I, something that's really interesting to me is the difference between the open mic and the weekend shows. And this is something that that newer comics don't quite understand because they're crushing it on open mic. Why won't this club book me on the weekend? I'm doing better than everybody else. And I went through that. A lot of people go through that. And and it's the material. The open mics are on the weeknights, and and you're playing to the men. It's guys. It's a bunch of guys because comics are guys. Majority of comics are guys. Their friends come. You're playing to men. They want the shock humor. They want the Mm. weird stuff. On the weekend, you're playing to the women because the women make the entertainment decision. Mm. And even when I do street team promotions, uh, when I'm talking to a woman and trying to convince her to come out to this show, I, like I had it down to a science. Like I'm sitting, there, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the woman. I want you to make the decision to come see the show, but you're with your boyfriend, so I have to acknowledge him. So I'm so talking to the woman, and every so often I'm looking at him and doing a little nod, and then going back to the woman. Mm-hmm. But like uh, continuously through the conversation, I have to give him the nod. Yeah. Otherwise, I walk away. We ain't going to see that. Why fuck you know or whatever you know. Yeah. So like even when I'm promoting, I there there's a psychology to it. There's it's I've been doing it for years. I'm really good at it. Well, let's talk about your street street team promotions. Yeah. How did it start, man? How did you how did you well, set that up? Well, uh, I basically invented the system. Yeah. Me and the manager of the improv kind of developed it together. It's basically giving out free tickets, mm-hmm. but it's instead of like barking like they do in New York where they stand out, yeah, hey, yeah, got this yeah. girl, come yeah. on, here's a free ticket. Yeah. Yeah. I go in, instead of passing out a thousand tickets, I'm finding a hundred people and giving them ten tickets and letting them pass them out. So mm. I'm going into businesses and saying, "Can I leave some tickets uh, for your business for your employees and things like that?" Smart, very smart. And you, would you did you say you started doing that about ten years ago? Uh, no, I uh, probably kind of doing that probably. in some form or facet uh, always. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just curious when you kind of got uh, organized with it, uh, started LLC in it or whatnot. I don't know. Right, well, the street teaming part I have not yet, but yeah, it, but it, it started at the Louisville Improv, mm-hmm. and then they closed down, and I started R-I-P. doing it for other clubs. I started consulting, and it it's it's my side hustle basically is going and doing guerrilla marketing. Sure, uh, huh. on the streets. Do you do it for other things outside of comedy? Do you do it? Uh, this is my that's that's my side hustle, but yeah, yeah comedy is my my only job. I got you. Right so. Like, I'm so good at this. Like, my record off of street team tickets in one weekend is 850 people. God damn. So you take that at a place like the Improv, 18, <laughs> uh, and you'd say um, 1850 was the price per average that the customer spent, I think. Sure. And uh, so I put tens of thousands of dollars in their pocket. I didn't even know how valuable I was. Yeah. I had known... I would have been asking for the world. <laughs> yeah. I got paid really well. I mean, many times my checks were bigger than the headliners. But um, I could have gotten paid even more had I realized how valuable it was. Well, I see it. The numbers, yeah. like you said, the numbers, man. That's why man I, but I become obsessed with it. It's my obsessive nature. So, like, like, one time I'm passing out tickets to this crowd at the bars. I'm passing it out. And I hear, Jamie, what are you doing? I turn around. It's the box office manager. And it just <laughs> dawned on me. I'm out at one o'clock in the morning, fucking street teaming to the bar people. And, and like I'm sitting there, going, and like as soon as she said, that, I'm like, "This is crazy. What is wrong with?" You? I went home and went to bed. I'm like, "This why?" Now, but but I'm obsessed with numbers. I had to break my record. Okay, have you ever had? Have you had normal jobs? Yes, but not for very long. I was gonna say, I bet, I bet you're just taking that energy right into it. I mean, that's that's what makes you successful. You're You've been doing this for how long? You've been doing this for now? Um, about I I don't know exactly. I think it's about twelve years, ten to twelve years. I think okay. something like that. And that's what it takes, though. That, that oh, sort yeah. of attitude. You can't. It, this isn't a nine to five thing. You have right. to be. You have to be the one you bringing be crazy. In the numbers. You, you have to be crazy. crazy. You have to be crazy for sure. Works. For sure you do. So, I mean, you got a lot of history in the Louisville area with different comedy clubs we've got around town here, and, and I've heard. You know, you were part owner, you were manager, you're a performer at, you know, Comedy Caravan, then the Laughing Derby. You know, how did you 
and I mean, I, you can kind of detail us on how you kind of made that shift, but and it doesn't sound like you ever fully made it, but how did you make that transition from, you know, being, you know, the street team, from being a comedian to, you know, kind of running the show? Well, basically, I started off as a comic, you know, through the open mic system and everything. And then um, I don't remember exactly how it happened, if a fundraising group found me or what happened, but I set up my first fundraiser. And usually fundraisers aren't that very, you know, or so-so, especially in the beginning. I, like, took it to a new level. I stood in front of the Starbucks in front Oh, where is that? Barrett Street? I think, mm-hmm. Or Barrett or Baxter? One of those three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And so I stood in front of there and sold tickets to people one day, and I sold like 275 tickets. Holy. In front. That's sold. That's not given away. That wow. I sold 200. Now, they didn't all show up, and it was my first time, and I didn't know this, but by buying the ticket, they're basically making a donation now, you know, in hindsight, I should have said, hey, if you just want to make a donation, you don't have to take this ticket. Right. But only 75 people showed up, but we still raised a bunch of money for, like, a food pantry. Awesome. And uh, and that's when I first re- learned who to approach about fundraising comedy clubs, shows. The people to approach, number one. Okay. Is somebody wearing hospital scrubs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You chase them down. Second thing I always go for People walking a dog. What what makes those two stick out? I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) I can tell you who you don't go to. Okay. Anybody that's uh, the serious bike riders. Yeah, those people. They do not have. Is somebody a serious bike rider in here? No, no. They do not have a sense of humor. <laughs> I know some. They okay. don't get a sense of yeah, humor. Yeah, you go ahead. This and is a safe they, space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're they're the worst. And uh, Purdue College kids. <laughs> Purdue College kids were the worst. <laughs> so you heard it here first. Jamie Utley says douchey cyclists and Purdue College kids are the worst people to support your charitable cause. <laughs> they hate puppies, they hate kittens, and they hate old people. Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So anyway, so I went from there and I started fundraising. And so... There was a a switch, uh, a new owner that came into the co- comedy caravan. Okay, and uh, at first I love him to death. Now at first I love, I mean I love him. He's a great guy. Uh, I probably like him more now than ever. Uh, but in the beginning I didn't care for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody wanted to set up a fundraiser, and I wasn't. Uh, I did just didn't want to do it there. And so I called the improv. And I said, hey, my name's Jamie, and I do fundraisers. And before I even finish the word fundraiser, I go, we want to talk to you. How soon can you be here? (laughs) As soon as I said the word, I do fundraisers, they were, like, all over me. Hmm. I got there, and, like, within 30 minutes, they are like, ready to bet the farm on me. And... uh, and it started off slow. I mean, like like when I first started doing it, my numbers were like 25 to 50 people per weekend. Mm-hmm. And then as I got better and better, and then I started seeing like it was like real easy to get 300 people in, then 500 people. And then and then like all after I got good at it, it was easy to get over 500 people, like sure. real easy. And then, you know, sometimes I would get even more. Mm. And they had a nice venue they could have come. Oh, it was nice. Too. It was I mean, yeah. very nice. Yeah. The improv? Yeah, yeah the improv. Yeah. What happened to the improv? Why did it go away? I was in, I mean, I did a lot with them. I, I, I helped them in a lot of different areas, so I knew them probably most and more, more than most comics. Mm-hmm. I don't really know for sure, but my theory is that because their owners were from south of Florida, I don't know, I don't think that the improv was ever losing money, but I think it got to the point where it didn't make enough to be worth the headaches. <laughs> And, and that's that. just a guess. Uh, some people, there's all kinds of theories from they got free rent in the beginning, and as soon as they started getting charged, they pulled. There's all sorts of different reasons. But knowing the owners as well as I know them, I just I just think it wasn't worth it to them. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, that's, that, I have a lot of fond memories there. I mean, it's the first place. And it's a relatively small venue to have watched, you know, Daniel Tosh. I mm-hmm. saw Josh Wolf there. Um, you know, I, I, I thought the venue was fantastic. It was literally the only reason that I would yeah. go to that area of town. But mm. 
Well, if you yeah. saw Joshua Wolf there, I was probably the MC that night. Oh, Very nice. Sweet, <laughs> sweet. You're reminding me to tip my server. <laughs> that, that's me. That's me. That's me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> so I mean, so you moved into more of the the managing of the the process and the managing right. of the business aspect of it, putting you know asses in seats. Right. Well, what happened after that is we came to a point where the comedy club was either going to close if somebody didn't buy it. And so some people came up to me and said, hey, because I was the one that lived in Louisville, they wouldn't bring me on board because I had a marketing background and I lived in Louisville. Mm -hmm. Because if you run a business and none of you live in that town, it's very difficult. Very much so. So at first, well, at first they came to me and said, hey, we're thinking about buying a, a comedy club and we want to know if you want to be an owner, if you want to get involved. And at first I said, no, no, no. <laughs> and they're like, well, it's the comedy caravan and if you say no... It's going to close. And then I was like, oh, no pressure. I, don't, I don't want the club that I started in to close. And so I, I jumped on board. Okay. Mm, that's pretty yeah, much nice. how I got it. And then we had two other clubs, one in Indianapolis, one in Dayton. And then uh, I'm no longer involved in any of them, thank goodness. So you got into it and there were already three clubs. Right. Uh, well, there was – no, no. There was the one club and then my partners had another club in Indy. In the beginning, I wasn't part of that. Okay. The thing we bought, Wiley's in Dayton, Ohio. And then they said, well, it just makes sense to all – bring all the clubs together. Gotcha. And that's basically how that happened. What were some of the, you know, the challenges you faced managing, you know, an enterprise like a comedy club? I, I mean – the stress. I mean, like when we sold our our, inter our interest in all three clubs, the first weekend we're at the grocery store. It felt like we should be doing something, and then we like looked at each other like, we never had time to go to the grocery store unless it was for lemons and limes. Mm. Like we didn't have time for anything, and like we mm -hmm. didn't even really like it. It didn't even really dawn on us how busy we were. And the worst part about a comedy club, you work really, really hard to get this great audience in. And you work, and there's so much stress whether you're going to sell enough tickets. And then even if you have a great week and it works out, Monday it starts all over again. Oh, yeah. So it's just boom. You're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, whoo, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, whoo. So I guess I should know that facial expressions won't work on podcasts. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> We'll, we'll videotape this it worked one on me. <laughs> um, it's it worked so on me. That makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. Do you think that like Gosh. being a comedian helped facilitate your capacity to manage that process? I think. Well, as far as like how it affected me as a comedian, uh, it was horrible because I didn't have his time to do what I needed to do for my own career as much. Mm. Um, I think there were some advantages being a comedian. Um, I knew the importance of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the front of the house stuff, I was great at. Back of the house, I was sucked. Okay. <laughs> it was hard. It's hard to run a business. Yeah. I mean, that's just all there is to it. it is, it's time-consuming. It's stressful. It's Especially one that has a bar, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know. Oh, the worst is having to fight hecklers. I mean, like like physically fight people because they're drunk and they they won't leave or something. And it's there's a lot. Of, it was not fun. Let's hear well, some heckler bar stories. Work, man. You would think you would think it would be fun. I certainly went in thinking it was going to be fun. It wasn't that fun. Yeah, uh, I want to hear some heckler stories. You got a good one off the top of your head? Mm, mm, nah, about the worst one for me was well, not at my club, but for me personally was Cocoa Beach. Okay, and. Uh, Tourist destinations can be very difficult, uh, especially for me. I don't know about everybody, but it can be difficult because it's harder to bring the crowd together. And I had this woman that was, like, just yelling out stuff every line. And, like, I couldn't even deal with her because I couldn't even say a joke because she would yell stuff out. And it got so bad. And when the venue won't police the room, it's the worst. And they didn't. And the audience ended up dragging her out. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. Whoa, oh, her husband cool. rushed the stage on me. Huh? I've never had a problem like that. Wow. Husband rushed the stage because she, she, at one point she points out, you're, you, she says something, they go, lady, can you please shut up let me tell these jokes? <laughs> and you do this thing that everybody does. It's like, okay, uh, for people that want to hear her talk, mm. make some noise. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. They go, okay, are people ready to hear me talk, make some mm -hmm. noise? And then everybody, woo! That always shuts them down. This time it didn't. And so when she said, she said something and she goes, you need help. And I go, bitch, you're the reason I need help. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and her husband rushed the stage. And it did Really? Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, and, and that's when they dragged her out. Uh, there was a policewoman from like New York that was there on vacation, and she ended up grabbing her in a headlock and dragging her out. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Very rarely does comedy come to blows like that. I mean, oh, you haven't Googled it on YouTube. Mm. Go to YouTube and, and, oh, a friend of mine that was on that show with me. Uh, he has a story about a, about a wrestler. I can't remember which wrestler it was. Heckled him, and the wrestler came up and kicked him. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, there's, there's, there's stuff on and YouTube. Then, and then the comedian whooped his ass, yeah. right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was a big wrestler. Uh, and then, like, there's another great one where a guy comes on stage, and the comic, like, hits him with a guitar. I've seen that one. Yeah. Love that one. And he's yeah. like, what do you say, folks? And he's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. you guys. Y'all are, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I Yeah, the audience stage. didn't dig that too much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, understandable. And that's it. When it comes to heckling, <clears throat> you have to wait till the crowd's ready to turn. Mm. Because you heckle too early, you're you're the monster. Right. You have to wait until the crowd's ready for you there's to an, turn. There's an Ooh. art to ruining a show, is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, how do you gauge that? Well, like, for instance, <clears throat> I did a show in Bloomington, Indiana. And there was a heckler. And I was the third comic to go on stage. So I got to see him just mercilessly mm-hmm. heckle the first two comics. And they they didn't have a lot of experience, and so they were, like, ignoring it and trying to keep going. So I had, like, 35, 40 minutes to come up with what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Of course, I make it look like I just came up on it. Sure. On the top of his head, off my mm-hmm. head. So as soon as he says, it says something, bam, 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 crowd's going nuts because they're so ready to turn on him. <laughs> they start screaming out, you're the heckler assassin. And they're like, oh, you're great. They might as well pick me up on their shoulders <laughs> and march me through Bloomington. Our hero. And so I was like, I'm the heck." I started believing it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm All the right. heckler assassin. Second show of the night, uh, a lady blurts out one thing. I start laying into her. <laughs> Crowd was not ready not to turn. Nah. <laughs> I went through 25 minutes of silence <laughs> of everybody just looking at me. <laughs> and that's how you learn, though. That's how you learn. So do you think that the tide of the audience at that point was the reason that your jokes didn't care? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, Damn. absolutely. Now, now, since you run a comedy club now, do you, do you find yourself doing a bit of, like, talent management? Well, that's what like... I'm trying to get into. I'm... I'm, I'm I'm entertaining the thought of getting into talent management. Now, and that's where the Tom Mabe thing comes I in. I see. Okay. All right. So in your experiences, though, in the past, like, you don't have to drop any names, though. Have you had any, like, really strange requests when people, like, in the green room, I need Riders. to have uh, three sets of rubber underwear, like, just some weird request. Right. That, you, right. There you, were a duo. Rubber underwear. <laughs> a duo. And... I can't remember exactly how it went down. They were they were a duo that's starting to get some heat. Okay. Um, and uh, basically, we were like, okay, you guys are from California. Um, we know you're not going to be a draw here. This is too much money. And they're like, okay, I'll tell you what. And they went like a reasonable price for us. And then their writer came through, and I, I had a business partner that was really bad at booking. Mm-hmm. And he accepted the writer. And I get it. And it's like, okay, a bottle of local vodka, a case of craft beer. I mean, the writer was way more money than what their actual really? pay would have been. I mean, like, their writer would have cost, like, like a couple hundred, or more than that, probably two or three hundred dollars uh, this is for one show on an off night. Wow. Yeah. And so Total prima donna. <laughs> well, if you ever need to have like some local vodka, I know some people that run some stills around the area here that you could probably Oh, I'm coming here for all my alcohol <laughs> needs. <laughs> they don't make any money off of it, but yeah, we'll, we'll help the brother out. <laughs> hey, man, why don't you uh, pop that BT open over there? And This place is just amazing. Take that glass a little bit. Thanks, Jeremy. Oh, man. So... You've had a couple of, you know, you're testing out jokes, all that other kind of stuff. Tell me about, like, the worst bomb you ever told, or maybe maybe there isn't a bomb. Maybe it's a bomb here and not a bomb in Evansville because they're just such different people. Uh, but... Well, I mean, my Cocoa Beach <laughs> experience was the worst ever okay. because I had three bad shows in a row. But that wasn't because you told bad jokes. That was because the, the well, environment was there's shit. there's a lot of things that are wrong. The It was St. Patrick's Day weekend. Everybody Ooh, was overly drunk. Yeah, buddy. Mm. And so that was the first mistake. Second mistake, nobody policed the room. 
So, like, I, I mean, I, I can deal with a heckler. I can try to shut down a heckler. But if you're not going to police the room and they can't be stopped, I mean, I get to a point. Uh, there was just nothing I could do. Yeah. And so the first show went really bad. Second show uh, went bad. So the first show, I'm like, okay, it's a bad show. I'll get them back on the next one. I'll yeah. come back with Vengeance. Usually those shows are really strong after a bomb. Uh, second show, it happened again. And so I was like, then I started freaking out. Okay, I've had bad shows, plenty of bad shows. I've never had two bad shows in a row. Mm. And so I started freaking out at that point. What's wrong? What am I doing wrong? I'm calling up headliners. I'm, is this my fault? They're dry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it happened a third time. And so this time, and I had to rush home after the week because I had a show at a chain, at a funny bone club, which you don't want to have a bad set at a mm. funny bone because sure. they're your bread and butter because there's so many of them. You don't want to have a bad show. So I'm freaking out at this <laughs> point. Like <laughs> I, something is going wrong. I'm no longer good at this. And I got to go to the funny bone, which means I'm going to lose thousands of dollars on missed work. But I went to the funny bone. Everything went great. And so I didn't have a problem. But that was my worst. But it was the same. It was almost the same set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you, you just those same sets everywhere else work great. I mean, that's just it. That's when you have a bad set, you're doing jokes that work 99 percent mm -hmm. of the time. It's just not your night. Mm -hmm. Everybody bombs. Everybody bombs. Interesting. Yeah. Now you just mentioned something that people probably don't know too much about, but the, the economy of comedy clubs. Now, you mentioned the Funny Bone and how they're a chain. What's it like to get in a spot like that? Is there an audition process? And like you said, you don't want to have a bad show. There's different ways. There's diff everybody has a different process. The easiest way to get into a club is if the headliner brings you along. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite way to get in, because it's so difficult and I'm so proud when it happens, uh, and there's a lot of comics that have never gotten a gig that way, but my favorite, of course, is when I send a club that they've never heard of me, I send them a clip, and then they book me. Yes. Now, the real, though, the real compliment is when you get rebooked at a club. Because a lot of people can talk their way into getting booked once. But when you get rebooked, then you know you did a good job. Awesome. Nice. nice. Awesome. And they all kind of vouch for each other. I came up with this saying that I try to explain to the new guys, the more you work, the more you work. Mm -hmm. Because when I first started emceeing at the Comedy Caravan, oh, nobody cared. Mm -hmm. And then when I started emceeing at the Dayton Funny Bone mm -hmm. and Crackers, then every time I'd hit a club up, they'd go, oh, you work Dayton Funny Bone, Crackers, and Comedy Caravan, you're obviously a good MC." and then they take a risk on you. Because really, all they want is, they, they just got to have confidence in you that you're mm -hmm. going to do your job. Yeah. Right. That's really what it's all about. You got to convince them that everything's going to be okay if they hire you. Very fun. Now, now you're kind of on the business end of that too, right? Mm -hmm. Now you get to receive all these people right. coming at you. I see you. the other side. And I book a, I book an amazing show in Evansville, Indiana called Jamie Utley and Friends, mm -hmm. although I'm legally required to call it Jamie Utley and Acquaintances. Mm. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I've got this show, and I'm so proud of it. And I'm, and I'm so proud of it. It's so great. I was telling you earlier, it's in a furniture store in Evansville, Indiana, which Love sounds it. crazy, <laughs> but it's got it's called Pat Coslett Simplicity Furniture. They have a full bar stage. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Like my opening joke is for the love of God, use a coaster. We gotta sell this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so but it's got professional lights, sound, and it's got and it, and I've pulled in some big names and they booked a couple of their own big names there. It's it's crazy. It's what crazy. Do you, what do you think they were doing? Like, they were doing furniture and when they're like, you know, we need a stage. Well, we need the some owner lights. was just a <laughs> Big fan of comedy. He's he's a local comic. He's okay, been involved okay. in the comedy scene. It, those kind of things only work if there's somebody that really loves comedy involved. Of course, I love I love that image though. Yeah. <laughs> What's something you like wish audiences knew about comedy or comics or the performance that you find that they're generally kind of unaware of? That it's rude to have your cell phone out. Mm -hmm. That's probably the biggest one. Like, and 
I was oblivious to it. I went to this bachelor party. I never go to strip clubs. I never do that. <laughs> but I went to a bachelor party at one. And I'm right there at the stage. And I'm on my phone stripping. Or on my phone. I'm on my <laughs> yeah, phone texting. Are. Yeah. yeah. So We're all athletes here, ladies and gentlemen. And she does. And the stripper or the dancer does this little catwalk over to me and just kind of like pats my phone down. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. I'm a total asshole. Yeah. Like, what am I doing texting? <laughs> There's... I mean, I mean, imagine how that must feel for the dancer <laughs> yeah. that if you're right there at the stage and you're on your phone instead. Mm-hmm. Of, I mean, wow! Yeah. Like, I, I, so people, including me, especially me, are oblivious to how rude we are in general. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Huh. Yeah. Nature of the times, we different live sensitivities. In. Yeah, and you know what? And 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 that dancer, she's an artist too. I would never be disrespectful to any artist. It's fair. Uh, I, so, sure. But, but I was oblivious to it. I never thought of it. And so that's probably one thing, being on the cell phone. Do you think that you would have extended that, courte- uh, that courtesy to what one might consider to be a more legitimate performer or in a performer that isn't in like an adult well, medium? Would you have done that at a comedy club or would you have done that at a, like a Broadway play? Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm. Probably because I was oblivious. Again, I mean, I was All oblivious. Right. And, you know, and I, I look at, at, at who are artists, like, totally different ever since I watched a documentary called Man on Wire. Oh, yeah. Because okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I never guy... thought as a tightrope walker as an artist until I saw that. It's Between like, the two towers. There was so much beauty to it. There was so much, oh, it was incredible. Hmm. So everybody's pretty much an artist in my view. I mean, almost everybody. I mean, I'm, you know... If you can make a mean cup of coffee, you're an artist. <laughs> I agree. All right. All right. Here I am. Everyone's got aspects of artistry. I know what you right. mean. Right. Yeah. I know. Exactly so what you mean. yeah. Now you got kids, right? Yeah. So is there ever a joke that you told, you know, out in the wild where you're like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna have to explain that to my daughter one day." <laughs> no. No, I uh, <laughs> I have been a single parent, and although this might not have been the wisest thing. I raised my children in a no-censorship environment. Okay. And so my children, from the time they could talk, were allowed to watch whatever they wanted, listen to whatever they wanted. Like my son, when he was like three years old, he became obsessed with Jason and the Friday the 13th movies. Okay. And then it was weird. Like four, three through five, he was like really into it. And then like age six, (laughs) he got scared and like never went back to it. Like he was really young. He thought it was hilarious. And then when he till it dawned on him, till it dawned on him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so oh, this guy's I've, 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 I don't, maybe I've had maybe it's not the most healthy relationship, but I've just I've never censored anything that any stimuli for my children, if that makes sense. But now you got grown children that are no. successful and mm-hmm. they get it. I mean, it's they fun. get it. I mean, uh, they we had some rough family times i i have a history of addiction and so they grew up in not the most normal childhood probably gotcha not probably definitely Hmm. now you being a uh sounds like you're a big advocate of free speech here oh Uh, absolutely now being in comedy now it seems to be a pretty hot topic these days have you come across any you yourself uh as a club owner and as a comedian have you found yourself being uh Told you said you work pretty clean, but told hey you can't say that, or have you yourself oh, had yeah. to be like hey oh, yeah. you can't say that joke? I've got I've got I know there's context to things. I like refuse to let go of jokes because of the PC culture. Sure, uh, <laughs> but eventually I was like okay, it's time to let it go. And so like there's been some jokes that I've lost that I didn't want to lose. Mm. Lay one on but, me. Okay, uh, the one the biggest one that I was most known for deep cut uh, that I had to let go of. Uh, well, I'm talking about the different types of girls I've dated, and I go the best girlfriend I ever had was a Hispanic stripper. Hispanic strippers are awesome because when you punch them, candy comes out. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> So that was one I had to drop. <laughs> okay. And, but it's weird. Like, it didn't get dropped overnight. What I Good found joke, Good joke, man. was that Crazy. it became unsafe to do that joke in Florida <laughs> and in the north. Florida don't play. Okay. In the north. Like, it, like if I'm in Alabama, Arkansas, around Mississippi, they love that joke. <laughs> Why in the north? But, but the funny thing is, is the line... There was like this line where I'm too far north to tell that joke, but that line started moving south. 
Interesting. Right, until eventually it met Florida. Huh. Florida, you obviously can't get it because there's so many Cubans right, and right, Latinos right. Yeah. and everything. But yeah, Candy so that line kept going forward. And so now I've got a couple jokes. They're still a little risky, mm-hmm. and but I have like a backup joke to diffuse it. So I'll say, oh, yeah, that joke was a little risky this far north. That sure. always gets a laugh. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. See, and that's probably the appropriate way to handle something like that because I could see you running a club and running a fundraiser or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a comic booked on it, you could, instead of saying, hey, don't say that joke, I know you do this bit about grave day or what, you know, right. whatever, some, whatever. Uh, it being like, hey, instead of saying that, you know, maybe you try and slide into this one or whatever. At least give them a suggestion well, or something. When you're, club owner, you're saying, don't. when you're club owner or manager, you never, ever, ever want to tell the comic not to do one of his jokes. Right. And I've seen that go wrong so many times. And my favorite, favorite story, Shane Moss, one of my favorite comics of all time, he had this joke that was on Last Comic Standing talking about this girl that got her legs cut off at the amusement park. And he's like, oh, I'm was that here? here in was Louisville. That here? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It happened in Louisville. <laughs> okay, we know and so he, he's, you know, this whole joke, and I had a fast pass. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, uh, and so I'm, I'm with Shane at the improv, and I'm just, I just happen to be in, in the room and the, there with the conversation. But the manager, he knows he can't tell him not to do it, but his manager's freaking out. The radio station's freaking out that he's going to do it because they're, you know, helping and everything. He has to go on radio in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to talk to the manager. Shane knows exactly what he's trying to say, yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. just making it awkward for him to be funny. Yeah, of And so <laughs> this guy, he's dancing all around. He goes, hey, that joke you do about the oh. girl. She, that happened here. She's got so many supporters. Um, oh, man. The... Uh, the 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 they're worried that it's going to cause some bad and so it's so hilarious the way he's done. and finally Shane looks over at me and, like because it's so funny he like looks over at me and I go I don't care what you do <laughs> as long as you don't make fun of asthmatics <laughs> <laughs> and then Shane looks at me and goes oh I would never do that that's insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, it was so oh, funny. Man. It's so oh, funny. And so uh, there's oh. another Jimmy Pardo story. I'm not going to name the club. Mm. But Jimmy Pardo uh, was at a club, and a friend of mine, it was his first professional week at that club in ever. So he has no idea how to handle it. He's just right. in the room. And so Jimmy Pardo's sitting there talking to him and having a conversation, and Jimmy's great. And so the guy comes up and goes, hey, yeah, uh, if you do me a favor, like that last show, you made fun of the club and everything. Hey, don't do that. And Jimmy just turns to him and goes, tell me how to do my act again, and I'll walk. And then he went right back to the guy and finished his conversation. Like, oh. like, and so the guy's oh. just freaking out. He's like, yeah. what happened? What do I, what do I say? It's like, because he is. Like, you tell me how to do my walk again, i walk. I so you, you had strawberry ice it. cream. Okay. That actually yeah. raises a question. So, in and Jimmy Pardo, cool note, uh, charges a very reduced rate at the clubs because he wants to help the clubs stay in business. He's a, he's like the greatest guy ever. Good for him. Yeah. yeah so, are there are there situations funny. where an opening act is asked not to do certain material by the headline? Absolutely, because oh, yeah. they don't want to be upstaged. Well, yes, uh, yes. Wow. It, usually, it's because they have something that that talks about the same, you know, if my big bit's a Netflix bit, I don't want the other guy talking about Netflix or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. I recently, it happened to me where I was told not to do my closer. No? By, um, by a famous person. Which yeah. closer? Uh, this closer's about yeah. buying a gun. It's about buying yeah. a gun and everything, but it's, it gets, callbacks, people love callbacks. Yeah, and love so, uh, my last joke is a callback to an earlier bit, and so it always gotcha. does well. Word. And, uh, he didn't Makes want sense. me to end strong. There was a great, um, there's a show called Crashing starring Pete Holmes mm-hmm. um, and the season finale this year. I don't want to give too much away of it, but that was very much about that topic. He's opening for a more well-known comic 
uh, John Mulaney, and he does exactly that. He approaches him right before and says, do you talk about family? Do you talk about this? Whatever. He can't talk about any of that. Can't talk about any of that. They need to know me as that guy. They can't know you as that guy or whatever. There's a lot of oh, weird... John Mulaney did that? Well, this, is a, this is a scripted show. Like I say, oh, but, okay. you know, I say this is a TV, but the idea of that conversation, those conversations happen all the time. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Sure. Now, music so too. one music time, too. a guy named uh, Robert Kelly, brilliant comic. Love Robert Kelly. He, uh, it was my first MC week at an improv, so it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's known as a ball buster. Yeah, he is. Like his whole, his, he's known for trying to get the MC to cry. Uh, and so he is messing with me all week long. I love it. And so I show up, like first thing he does, like after the first night, he's like, yeah, that opener you do, uh, I don't like it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Second show, he's like, hey, closer you do, don't do get it. some too riled yeah. up. <laughs> Don't do it. Now, I didn't know it at the time. Right, right, But there's right, no right. way a headliner's going to give a fuck about what the MC does. Right. No headliner's going to care about the MC. He's just <laughs> doing it to mess with me. Right. And so he's like, that closer. And so then the notice show goes, yeah, the other closer? I don't like that either. <laughs> and so then I'm like, man, I got like five minutes left. He's, he's, he's like trying to whittle down all my material <laughs> yeah. just to mess You're with me. You're sweating over here. The first time, the first show... I, and I always stick to my time. I never go off. I went over like I think ninety seconds, and he pretended, or I believed him. He was like, he's like flipping that. You're never going to work for an improv again. He's like, you don't even come here without a watch. I went out and bought a watch. Oh man! I show up the next week. First thing he does when he comes in the building, he's like, "Where's the watch?" <laughs> like, right like showing the watch, and he keeps messing with me. And at one point, he goes, he said something. I go. Well, I guess you're never going to want to work with me again. Goes, oh, no. Every time I'm in the Midwest, I want you to open for me. <laughs> and then at the end, he bought me this, like, leather notebook and wrote oh, something man. in it that was so sweet yeah. and nice. I damn near cried. That's so awesome. But he's no, he couldn't make me cry, though. It didn't work. He was testing you. He was trying. He was testing you. He was trying. Now, he's a strong New York comic. Oh, yeah. Uh, do, you know, do you notice, like, being in the business, do you notice uh, a big dispersion between, like, West Coast comedy and East Coast comedy? They say they say that you go to LA mm-hmm. to get on TV, yeah, and you go to New York to get on late night TV, right? So it's it's a totally different beast. I prefer LA. Yeah, I think uh, I just I I just have never really dug the New York scene. I think that I would have liked it better, except last time I drove my car and it was like a nightmare. Ooh. Oh, it was a nightmare. And so I think I probably would have enjoyed it a little better had I tried public transportation. Sure. Uh, but uh, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather be in L.A. than New York. It, it just, you're either one or the other. Sure. Just, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Just genuinely curious. Wow, man. Awesome stuff. Well, cool. You got anything coming up here in the near future that, you know, are... Nothing. I mean, literally, we have, <laughs> we have like... A baker's dozen of listeners. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is this is without uh, a doubt. Oh, yes. I do. I do. Boom. Um, I, I do have comments. The week before Derby, uh, I'm at the Comedy Caravan. Okay. I'll drop off free tickets for all your staff. Dude. I'll, I'll be there, I'll bro. Tickets. I'll be there. Free tickets. And that's that's a totally clean show. Really? And, yeah. Mark Klein's totally clean, and so I have to be clean opening for him. Okay. Uh, which is great for me because I'm going to record Oh, every yeah. set and uh, get it online. It. And when it comes to online contact content, the clean comics make way more money. Really? The reason why. That's why you're the, so rich. The clean. <laughs> <laughs> money bags only. I'm getting ready to ask if I get reimbursed for the change I put in the meter. <laughs> uh, no, they make more money uh, because there's so few of them, and there's like clean stations on Sirius. And so you have ah. a lot less competition. So if you have clean content on the clean channel, you get played a lot more. Like I know like low-level comics that are making good money just because they got a couple things on the clean channel. Interesting. You start making some clean comedy, get that side yeah. hustle on. There's a lot more yeah. money in clean comedy. So I got this show at the show at the, at the caravan the week before. I'll drop you off free tickets. Anybody that's listening that wants free Dude, tickets, that'd be awesome. Jamie at jamieutley.com. Shoot me an email. Uh, Wow. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. man. How many employees you got? 130. Half price tickets. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you 130 tickets. It's you no don't problem. Have to give it, no. They're, they're not all here in house. It's no problem. It's no problem. <laughs> You're like, I know, I know that only 20% of them will show up. <laughs> be a convoy. Yeah, but see, the yeah. thing is, like, and, and, and that's where street teaming comes in. 
normally if I go into a business and I give away free tickets, yeah. I'm giving them not nearly enough. Like I want them to argue over the tickets. Mm-hmm. So then when you go back a second time, and I divide it up in sections, so it might be a year before I go back, but when yeah. I go back, you're like, oh, Oh, yeah, I remember that. So Well, we can make people compete for the tickets here. We're all mm. about that. <laughs> we'll we'll organize hey. some sort of tournament. You, you make it worth our things. while. Mm-hmm. Videotape something you while we're fighting You know what we should do? It? We should set up a show for your funniest employee and let them compete. <sighs> funniest employee. Ooh. Mm. We mm. could do that. And actually, I'm not even sure what you do. Is it a marketing firm? Yeah, we we or you could we could we could we could do it. You could compete with the other firms even. Mm. There ain't we could another do firm like us. In no, I don't think so. I don't think there's another firm like this anywhere. <laughs> Definitely not as funny either. We'd have to source them from inside this house. So uh, no, that'd be that'd be a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we could totally do that. Oh yeah, man, we could we could go cross. Uh, Cross verticals too, you know, the funniest <laughs> marketing people versus the funniest car salesman. There's probably some funny car salesmen out there. Oh yeah, that's good. You guys, all three of you had the personality. You could do it. Uh, really, it's a personality thing. Like I can tell right off front if somebody's got it or not. And mm-hmm. I can tell pretty. Easily. I'm sure you tell all the girls that though. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. I, uh, I, You've well, got such a good personality. One the, no, one of the things that goes so well for me is that uh, my wifeish. Um, she travels with me, like mm-hmm. almost 100% of the time. And That's so it makes great. life so much easier That's for great. me. i got two people to break up the driving and things right. like that. And so I'm lucky because a lot of comics have gotten caught up in in the Me Too movement. Sure. And, and I'm lucky nobody can ever make an accus- accusation because yeah. she's always with me. With you. Check so. me. That's great. Now, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, so I... I, I I've been safe from that. Going off of that, though, when, when you're traveling with her and just when you're traveling in general for comedy, do you get to stay at uh, comedy condos? Now, when I'm at condo, yeah. I don't get to take her. Oh, That's the okay. only time I don't get to take her. How are those? Let's, let's inform our listeners before you answer this. What the hell is a comedy condo? Because I don't know what the fuck that is. Okay. Some, uh, some comedy clubs, they put all their artists up in a hotel. Some have a little condo that you stay in. Like and, multiple comedians? Yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. you're in there, you're sharing it with the headliner for the yep, weekend. Week. Yep. And so <laughs> that and some and comedy con- clubs are condos are notoriously gross. Mm-hmm. Like there's something like you wouldn't eat off the dishes. Gross. Yeah. And there's a there's a song about it by somebody he's passed away now named John Fox. Okay. About and he's notorious for doing gross things in comedy clubs. And so somebody wrote a song about him and everything. Well, I was at Oh, who was it? Tammy Pescatelli. I was at a comedy club in Indianapolis, and Tammy, I was taking over John Fox's hotel room, and Tammy went to the clerks or to the desk, and they're like, "You have to sanitize this room before we get back." <laughs> like, like, you don't understand. John Fox was in that room, and John's leaving early, and he's taking the room. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Oh, that's gross. I heard some good stories. Yeah. Um, between uh, uh, Doug Stanhope and uh, the late um, uh, Ralphie May, they used to follow each other uh, kind of like on circuit, and Doug Stanhope would go out of his way to make sure the comedy condo was as disgusting as possible for Ralphie May. <laughs> I've I only been it. starstruck twice. One of them was Doug Stanhope. I, bet, I, bet. I opened up a door, and he's at the top of the staircase. I'm like, whoa, oh, my God, you're Doug Stanhope. Mm-hmm. And I, and I toured with, with Ralphie May before. Ralphie May's great. Oh, man. Uh, oh, so, wow. yeah. I heard he's such a nice guy, too. I heard he's Ralphie May paid for my travel out of his own pocket. What a sweet wow. guy, man. Yeah. What yeah, like we're sitting guy. there, and it was a theater run. It was called The Monsters of Comedy, Me, Him, and Jim Brewer. What? Yeah. Jim freaking Brewer, man. Yeah. Oh that's that's the other time I've been favorites. starstruck. I've been one starstruck of my twice. I mean, oh my Jim Brewer and, and Doug Stanhope are the only time I've been starstruck. But. Uh, we're sitting out after one of the nights, and and it, like Ralphie May goes, you, or no, he's talking to the tour manager and says, does he pay for his own travel? It's like, yeah, he gets to pay for his own travel. And then he looks at his tour manager, says, break him off his travel money. Nice. And pulls out wads of hundreds, and he just starts, oh, boom, man. boom, That's boom. so nice, though. That's oh, so nice. Here's my biggest mistake in comedy happened on that tour. Okay. My biggest mistake still to this day, I cringe when I think about it. Okay. Jim Brewer. Says, hey man, you need a ride to the next city? And I go, no, I got my car. Oh. Oh. Hey, I've been thinking I would have taken the ride with him and then flown back to get my car. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing more valuable than you know the hours I would have been yeah. in this Jeep with him. Oh, and I, 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 
I was just too new to realize right. that. I totally would have paid the thousand dollars to fly back to Mexico. Oh, hell yeah. He, yeah! he was just in town. Did, did yeah, you he was get just in town. What? Yeah, was he? Yeah. You ready for this? He was the opener for Metallica. Yeah. Shut the yeah. fuck door. How about? I, I the only reason I know that's because a buddy was at Metallica. He said he put me on Fridays with Jim Brewer. Uh, I used to get an occasional email. He didn't respond to the last one. But it's so I just stopped because I don't want to bug anybody. He's probably listening to this I'm podcast so, right yeah, now. You tell Jim Brewer what you think. Right <laughs> <But, laughs> Jim Brewer <laughs> all about this. actually has sent me emails that said, I'm praying for you. That's really thoughtful, Damn. man. Yeah, he's like really, he, he became a really big Christian and everything. Yeah. Yeah, but he's awesome. Uh, at so one funny. city that we're at, so his funny. niece shows up. And he decides he wants to leave early. He's not going to sell merch. And he puts me in charge of protecting his niece. <laughs> so mm. I was over the top serious about it. They're like, like some guy tried to talk. About, Hold up. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 I think the girl was getting annoyed because I was like. <laughs> you just constantly. <laughs> Jim said. <laughs> Jim <laughs> said. <laughs> I wouldn't challenge that at all, yeah. That's cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, they both of them were just amazingly great to me. Just amazing. Like I've, I've, I've never. That happened during year two for me, and I, I never experienced anything even close to that oh, since. Sure. Being treated so well by two celebrity comics. And they're both pretty big road dogs too, right? Yeah. Like those yeah. guys are hustlers. Oh and, yeah. And you seem to be too, man. I'm sure yeah. they saw talent. Well, oh, the other big, big story. My favorite story is um, Lonnie. Hmm? What's Lonnie's last name? Oh, my gosh. McFarlane? No. Lonnie Williams? Williams. Anyway, Lonnie Love. How, Lonnie how, how Love. could I miss that? Lonnie, Lonnie Love. Love. Lonnie Love. My daughter was a big fan of hers from some show on Nickelodeon or something mm-hmm. that she was on. And I was already working for many celebrities, and finally my daughter's impressed. Yeah. You know? And so Love. we snuck her into the comedy club. She was 12 years old. Lonnie hung out with her all How night cool long. That? That's super cool. All night long, pictures, everything. In fact, when I told Alonzo Bowden that story, he's like, Lonnie? <laughs> Lonnie did that? Lonnie don't hang out with people? <laughs> I love Alonzo, man. That's awesome. Oh, man. Alonzo's another great guy. Too. He is. So I got a question uh, for you. You know uh, the trope of fans that will follow a band from tour date to tour mm-hmm. date to Fifty tour dates if they can afford it and they can get the time. Do you ever see anything like that in comedy? No. <laughs> no, but not like that. But I know, I know. I've worked with a lot of headliners that the same people come back every year, and I've even seen that too a little bit. Where like there's certain venues I'll go to. And it's like, okay, I remember you from last year. Like, uh, this one in Roanoke, Virginia, where the guy has, like, the, he's a barber that wears a uh, razor blade necklace. Everybody knows who that guy is that's played that venue. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that guy. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I'll tell you my favorite comedy story. This is yes. by far. Building and we should have asked a question. Building Jeez. up to it. <laughs> this is my favorite. Roanoke, Virginia. I'm in there, and I'm like, Okay, I'm trying to do a little crowd work. I'm like, okay, yeah, Roanoke, Lost Colony, wow. And they're like, and they start, they just kind of like look at me. I go, you know, Lost Colony of Roanoke. Yeah. And they just look at me, and I say something, they're, like, they're just staring at me. Like, and it's the first, last, only time I've ever berated an audience. And I'm like, how can you people not know and- about the biggest <laughs> mystery in American history? And then it's from the back of, Wrong Roanoke. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) I just doubled over laughing. I just, I mean, it probably took me five minutes to stop laughing. Oh, man. I would have been actively defiant. Nope, that's this one. <laughs> you don't know positive, you guys are all stupid. Wrong. I read the book. <laughs> you people need to read more. Read a book. Oh, man. That's cool. I was so embarrassed. It takes so much to embarrass me. It was so fun. I love that. It's it a great so story, fun. man. Yeah. I guess if someone did follow you around, it'd be stalking territory versus a super fan. <laughs> <laughs> I've got those too. <laughs> no, it's weird. Like you know, I get asked a lot about the women and stuff like that, and not about the what the women. The women, come, yeah. Oh. And so like and like, oh, it doesn't happen to me. I'm 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 I open for the famous people. Mm. 
occasionally a woman will want to hang out. And what always shocks me is that they're always exactly alike. Oh, they're always the really young, really hot, and really drunk. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my and so what always surprises me is how hot they are. And and so I'm like, I think the only theory I have is that they're so used to getting attention uh-huh. that when somebody else gets all the attention, it does something. I don't th- there's some psychology there. You're like funny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, hang out with you. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very much dead on. But of course, I'm happily married. Of course. Never, never would ever think about it. Wasted time. Oh, wow. Well, cool. Jamie, man, this has been. Oh, it's been great. Dude, I can't, I can't tell you how. This is my how favorite cool podcast I've ever done. Yes. Wow. I'm sure you tell that to all the girls, though. <laughs> no, no, not all. Just most of them. Yeah. But I've, I've been on some really popular podcasts. I've been on Your Mom's House twice. Have you really? Twice. That is like a weekly. I'm a, I'm really? a big fan. They, I'm dig you up, man. Christina, uh, Christina interviewed me, and I hear that they had so many people wanting to know what happened to me that they ended up, Tom Segura did a follow-up. And it, it was pretty cool. Joe Rogan supposedly has said my name on his podcast. Shut the front door, man. man. Joe Rogan. Supposedly. Oh. I haven't actually heard it. Podcast But it was royalty. when uh, Miss Pat was on there, and yes. my name came up. Miss Pat's Super very cool. funny, too. Miss Pat's very... Really funny. Until you go on the road with her. No. Um... No. <laughs> Bit of a bull. She's hilariously rude. <laughs> Easy to see that. Easy to see that. Take it. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on to the show. We really thank you. It. This has been an experience, great. man. Your great. your place is amazing. It's like something from the movies. I'm just, I never would have thought this would be like this. It's really. It crazy. doesn't suck. Yeah, it's, it doesn't suck. Oh, and I love how you bring your dogs to work. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a lot of hounds around Where's here. My dog, anyway. My dog yeah. usually comes into the podcast with us. So <laughs> we got a pack of them. Yeah. It's the I sticky love it. Thanks for the hospitality. Anytime, Likewise, man. You are welcome at this establishment. Anytime you're out and about and you feel like stopping through, you're always welcome in my shop. I tell you what, I'm going to go back to the car and see if I can find some of those tickets and bring them. Please. That'd be cool. Please. It's funny because cool. I just picked up the tickets before I got here. Ah. <laughs> cool. No, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about that. I'm, I'm definitely going to show. And I mean, you know, Derby Time's such a big, big yeah. week for all of us, or a big couple of weeks for all of us. So right, right. If you've got anything going down and you want to plug it or anything like that, you let us know. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, good time. Cool deal. Gotcha. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you.